13 through 16. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What a fantastic crowd. It's good to see all of you here this morning, especially the football team that's joined us. And we're just honored that you're here. We used to have a morning service and an afternoon service pre-pandemic. And now, of course, we just have one. But we thought if we, you know, we call the a.m. and the p.m. service two-a-days. Yeah, okay. Um, but you're here this morning, and we're delighted that you are. And, and not just those who are present here physically in the building, but to know that we have several hundred that are joining us online from various parts of the country. And we're deli- in fact, it would be just intriguing and probably pretty fascinating to note how many states are represented with people who, who join us online every Sunday morning. And we're delighted that you're with us as well. Uh, just appreciate you being here. This is, despite what you may have heard, not the time to, uh, where you take a nap, unless you're a small child. Uh, and, and there was a, a research group that I read about that wondered, questioned, how many people actually sleep in church? And so they did a study, and they found out that if you were to take all the people who sleep in church and lay them end to end, they would rest more comfortably. Anyway, <laughs> I want to begin the study this morning with a with a well-worn but worthy poem that comes from way, way back, the first two lines of which go, I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. I'd rather someone led me than merely showed the way. The last two lines of that poem, I want to share all of it with you for sake of time, but it says, the lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my message by observing what you do. There's a lot of truth. That's not inspired scripture, but there's a lot of truth to that. Because every one of us recognizes that other people have uh, an impact on us by the way they live. And and sometimes just by the way they talk, the speech that they use. Now one of the things that we want to deny, I think that there's a real struggle, is that many times we deny that we have that same kind of influence on other people. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I don't think anybody will deny the importance of influence and, and the example that, that folks set in their lives and how much that impacts each of us. But, of course, the spiritual conflict comes when we realize that example is, is one of two things. It's either good example or bad example. And, and we have a lot of examples in Scripture and in life, I think, to, to certainly prove both of those. So let's give a little bit of attention this morning in the next few uh, minutes, if we may, to the subject and the importance of of being the right kind of example, the right kind of influence in our lives. And by the way, I'm going to be using those two terms, influence and example, interchangeably because our our influence is determined by our example. We understand that. So those two qualities are inseparably linked. I heard what I I think was an amusing story one time. you'll, You'll have to decide whether this is amusing or not. But uh, it seems a little boy and his little sister were, were playing in, in, in the kitchen one day, and mom came by and asked what they were doing. They said, well, the little boy said, we're playing church. And, and he said, you know, we're going to sing, and we're going to pray, and we're going to read the Bible, we're going to eat crackers, and we're going to drink grape juice, and then we're going to go out and have a good smoke. 
I'm not condoning smoking. But I am saying we need to be careful because we're an example to somebody. They saw that in someone and wanted to replicate it in their own activity. We understand, I think, on a spiritual plane how important it is that children, especially, they will do what they see and hear, not always what they're told. Parents, I think you, you understand. Children, Have you noticed that? Children don't always do what they're told. But they will do, oftentimes, what they see, what is modeled in front of them. And, and, and that's really the sum and substance of, of our study this morning. Our example and the influence that we create when we set that example is either good or, or bad. And it has the following characteristics. Number one, we are born with influence. If you don't believe that, you never had a newborn baby in the house. It disrupts the entire routine of that. Everything changes when a baby comes into the home. So you're born with it. Secondly, you never lose it. You may lose your good influence, but you never lose influence. And third, it does not go in the grave with you. In fact, the Bible verifies that. Revelation fourteen thirteen. if you want the Bible for it, there John says, by inspiration, then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write. Here's what he wanted John to write. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Notice this last phrase. And their works do follow them. That just means that when somebody goes into the grave, their impact has not disappeared. They, they still have influence on folks. Their works follow them. And people will remember that as an example for many, many years to come. It's a he being dead yet speaks kind of thing, and we'll, we'll talk about that as well in a moment. In fact, do you know that some people's influence is far greater after they die than during their lives? I heard about two of Elvis's bodyguards were standing by the casket when he was about to be lowered into the ground. One of them looked at the other and said, hmm, good career move. <laughs> and it certainly has proven to be. Did you know that Elvis's estate is worth more now than it was when he was living? And people are still talking about him. In fact, I'm pretty sure I saw him working in a convenience store just the other day. But that's not important. G. Campbell Morgan was a preacher. And he once received a letter from a man who was converted under his ministry. And the man spoke about coming to the church where Morgan preached. And he was bedraggled, hungry, pretty much... Uh, Des desperate because of his family situation, but just kind of walked into the church building one day without uh, really giving it a whole lot of premeditated thought. But while he was sitting there, he, he came to be impressed with the power of the spoken word. And he decided that very day that someday I want to do what that man's doing. I, I want to be a preacher. And, and not only did that happen, he became a preacher, but he also had a son that grew up over the course of time and uh, entered the ministry. And in the letter that the man wrote to Mr. Morgan, he said, and I'm quoting now, from that night that you became my great human ideal. I think I have every book you've ever written. I have never stood to preach without thinking about the impact and influence that you've had on my life. It somehow helps me more than just about anything. And the power of example and influence is, is, is something that Paul talked about. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, he said, imitate me even as I also imitate Christ. Now, not only appreciate what it is that he's instructing us to do, but appreciate the qualifier. He's saying, I, I want you to follow in my footsteps and imitate me. Now, that could be a dangerous thing, depending on who you're talking about. But then the qualifier is, even as I also imitate Christ. And so Paul was telling to those Corinthians and us 
that uh, you can be safe in following in his footsteps, but only to the degree that he followed Christ consistently in his life. So there's only one Savior that's worthy of our, our ultimate devotion and imitation. We understand that. But I don't think anybody can deny the power of godly influence. It is a reality. It is a tremendous force in our lives. And I want us to acknowledge that and think about it together this morning. And also appreciate that as far as influence is concerned, you and I are the face of the church. A noted business leader once said, again, I'm quoting, an institution may spread itself over the entire world and may employ 100,000 people, but the average person will form his judgment of that institution or business through his contact with one person. I don't think that's any more true than in the church, do you? I mean, there are people who become aware of the reality of a, a church or a group of churches within a community. We spend lots of money in, in building the church's image through online ads and, and radio, television, newspaper ads, and so on. But the truth is, family and friends are going to form their views of the church by what they see in you. You are the only gospel sermon that some of them will ever see. And, and if we really want the church to grow, I believe the greatest advertising tool that we have is the power of, of godly lives lived in front of our neighbors and family and friends on a consistent basis. When they see that we are serious about living as Christ would live, walking in his footsteps and being his disciples, then they too will take it seriously. The song says, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. And that's it. That's right, isn't it? That's what we're talking about. Letting people see Jesus in us and lived on a consistent basis. So this spiritual dynamic we're talking about this morning has been defined like this. And if this sounds like a dictionary definition, cause it is. Webster has defined influence as it's that moral or spiritual force, power, or capacity by which we have an effect upon another person. Now, you probably had that all figured out before you came in here this morning. But I wanted to reaffirm what we're talking about. It's that power, that force that you have. And I'm thinking about all these guys who are sitting here this morning as football players. And, and, and whether you're a freshman or not, you're going to have an impact on people on campus. They're going to be looking up to you. And they're going to be looking at your example. That's true of every one of us in this audience this morning. And those who are watching us online, you have an influence on somebody. And more likely, somebody's. There are people all around us who are looking at us and watching us and the kind of language we use, the kind of lives we live, the kind of meaning and purpose, even the level of happiness and joy that we reflect in our lives. And, and, if, and if we're doing it right, they're going to look at that and say, I want some of that. It's kind of like, you know, I've told the story how many times, a dozen times or so, of, uh, of the mama skunk and the baby skunk walking by the paper mill. If you've ever, you ever been around a paper mill, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and, and baby skunk sniffed the air and said, Mama, what in the world is that? She said, I don't know, but we got to get some of it. And, and that's, that's the way people will look at, at us as God's people if we're doing it right. They're going to say, I don't know what they have, but they've got a quality. They've got something going on inside that I want. I want a part of that. And, and Jesus spoke of this influence, the power of example over and over again. Nowhere more obviously than in the Sermon of the Mount. And, and Gerald touched on that in our class this morning. He, he said, you are the light of the world. In fact, that's our text. It was read just a moment ago. You're, you're the light of the world. You're a city that's set on a hill, can't be hid. 
Men don't light a candle, put it under a basket, but on a candlestick, so that it gives light into all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He preceded that in verse 13 by saying, You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, it is thenceforth good for nothing to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. So he's helping them and us to realize that in a world of sin, a world groping in the darkness of sin, God's people can be that kind of light, that kind of salt, that kind of influence. And then later on in Scripture, Jesus in in Matthew chapter 13, if you're familiar with that chapter, you know it's just chock full of parables. And to the best of my knowledge, only one parable in Matthew 13 has just one verse, and it's verse 33, where he says he likens his disciples to leaven. That, that's like yeast that you put in a lump of bread, and it permeates the entire lump so that it will rise. I a- asked someone who cooks, but th- that's, that's the essence of it. He said, you're like that. In whatever society that you're in, you're like a leavening influence. And over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul put some teeth in that. When there was sin in the Corinthian church that had gone unrepented of and unaddressed, and, and Paul said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's just the modern way of saying that is one bad apple can spoil the whole barrel. So this, this sin, this egregious sin needs to be dealt with. And that's why he said that. And then later on, he used another example of the influence that God's people have when he referred to us as epistles. That is not female apostles. That's letters. He said, you are a letter known and read of all men. That's 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3. Think about that. You're a book. You're a letter. Every day you are writing a page in that letter that somebody, somewhere, sometime is going to read. And the entire direction of their life may be determined by the kind of letter that you are writing with your life. I've often said that Christianity is not genetic, but it is generational. That is, it should be passed down to the next generation. We ought to be interested as parents in in trying to instill the values and and the morals and and a love for God and his word in the lives of our children. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses said, "You, you ought to, your parenting style should be so good and so effective that it will affect the next two generations, your, your son and your grandson. The next hundred years should be affected by the kind of person and the kind of life you live. And that's challenging, isn't it? I mean, when you think about that, my kids are watching me every day. My grandchildren are watching me every day. And, and the kind of life I live is in large part going to determine the direction of their lives. So said another way, spiritual training is as much caught by example as it is taught by precept. I think we all understand that at some intuitive level. Think about the power of example when it comes to the raising of our kiddos. If they hear us say one thing, and yet we as moms and dads fail to live up to what we've said, which of those two influence, which of those are stronger? Is it what we've said or or what we do? And I will not reflect on your intelligence by answering that question for you. In fact, I'm convinced that we communicate far more in our families by godly example than we do by, by lectures. Because, trust me, I've tried the lectures, and that doesn't work very well. They do need some spoken instruction. But mostly, our kids need to see us as moms and dads in the homes consistently living the Christian life. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Someone once said, preach the gospel... 
and if necessary, use words. And that's the dynamic that I'm talking about. Here's another dimension of setting the right example that sometimes just doesn't get talked about. When Jesus told his disciples in the Sermon of the Mount, as we noted a moment ago, that you're the light of the world, by implication, he was telling them and us that, that, that a light that is set at the top of a hill will attract others to it. It's sort of a moth to a flame kind of effect. It's kind of like a, you know, a lighthouse that all, all the ships at sea know in what direction to go because of that kind of guiding light. And that just makes sense, doesn't it? Think about who is it that attracts you most? And I'm not, not talking about boy-girl relationship, and I'm not talking about romance at all. I'm talking about influence. Who is it that you are most drawn to? Is it the person who stands for nothing and, and falls for anything? Is it the person who, of low moral character? Or is it the person who has some strong spiritual convictions, who, who's always trying to do what's right every day, who's always trying to be a good example to those around them, who, who tries to treat others fairly and can always be counted on to be there when they need them and sometimes just you know, give you some wise counsel just to be there and to, to listen to you when you're going through a tough time and maybe give you some advice. That's the kind of person I think that the typical individual is drawn to. I, I, I'll tell you that in terms of my own relationship to, to God and to other people, I'll, I'll just confess and please keep this quiet. I don't want anybody except you and, and the hundreds watching online to know about this. I will cross the road to get away from a person who discourages and criticizes me. I do not think I'm the Lone Ranger in that regard. But that, that doesn't attract me at all. I'm not drawn to a person like that. I don't think that you are either. We, we understand that. But uh, on the other hand, I'll cross the ocean to be with someone who has encouraged me and who has uh, motivated me to elevate the level of my living, and, and so that I will be more like Jesus Christ. A favorite story of mine, uh, when, we, when we talk about light attracting, I remember hearing some years ago about an old country doctor who was called out into the boondocks to help deliver a baby. Now remember, this was a long, long time ago, so they didn't have any electricity. And so it was way out in the country, and he finally arrived at the house, and he got in there, and there was only two people in the house. And it was the woman who was in the throes of hard labor, about to deliver a baby and her five-year-old son. Well, when he arrived, he, he told the little boy, he handed him the lantern, instructed him, now your, your important job is to hold this light up so that I can see what I'm doing and help deliver uh, your, your little brother or sister. And, uh, and the boy did just that. And of course, the mother pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And eventually, there was a baby that was born. The doctor held him up by his heels, spank, spanked him on the bottom like they did in those days, encouraging him to take his first breath. And, and no sooner had he done that, another baby popped out. And then another one. And then another one. Well, after the fourth birth, the little boy blew out the lamp. <laughs> and the doctor yelled at him and said, what did you do that for? He said, I, th I think the light's attracting them. <laughs> light does attract. And Jesus said to his disciples, if you're the light of the world, that's the whole point. That you ought to attract people to you just as you have been attracted to me. And how important it is that we learn that lesson. It's certainly true in the spiritual dimension. 
People are naturally attracted to individuals who set the right example and who inspire others to elevate the standard of their living as well. There are basically two kinds of example. We're almost through, so hang with me. Two kinds of example. We've touched on this before, but there's, there's bad influence and bad example. We all understand that. And that's certainly borne out over and over again in Scripture. We've got all kinds of examples of that. Remember in the Old Testament, the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 11, that Solomon's, and this is one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, in my estimation, that, that Solomon's wives turned his heart away from God. Now, if you know Scripture, you know that he had a combined 1,000 wives and concubines. And you think, well, mathematically, the probability is that one of them is going to turn his, no, you know what? It didn't take 1,000. It just takes one. So let me say, be very, very careful who you marry. Solomon's wives turned his heart away from God. And it's important that we realize that that kind of influence can be wrought in our, in our own lives. The Bible says that, uh, that those who sat with, with Herod at the table were influential in having John the Baptist beheaded. That's Matthew 14, if you want to check it out. And then over in the book of Revelation chapter 2, the Bible says that a woman by the name of Jezebel of Thyatira, she led others into sin. She had a horrible influence. She was a terrible example on others. And Solomon reminds us, one sinner destroys much good. That's Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 18. And then Paul tells us in probably the best known verse, at least of most of Paul's writings, in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, that evil companions or associates corrupt good morals. And that's exactly right. Be careful not only who you marry, be careful who you hang around with. Because in all likelihood, they're going to have some kind of impact upon the way you live your life. But guess what? You can be the right kind of example for them and influence them and elevate their lives. And that's what God wants for every one of us. So thankfully, there is that good influence. We don't have to just spend our time up here talking about watch out for bad influences in your life. There's good influence to consider. So I kind of want to end this lesson with that on this positive thought. Esther is my favorite book in the Old Testament, hands down. Anybody ask me, what's your favorite Old Testament book? It's the book of Esther. If you haven't read that lately, I would encourage you to do that. It doesn't take very long. But you know what? Here's the essence of the book of Esther. The fate of the entire Hebrew nation was in her hands. Whether the, the Hebrews were, were completely annihilated or not depended upon Esther stepping up courageously and, and, and taking one for the team and doing what was right in a very difficult situation. You talk about being the right kind of influence. And the right kind of example in her life. And we, always, we can always go back and appreciate Esther. And then there, there's Paul. In the closing verses of his letter to the Philippians, in Philippians 4.22, he says this. He, he's got a lot of other people that's joining him and saying, Now, if you ever write a letter to the Philippian church, I want you to put my name at the bottom and tell them I said hi. Well, here's how he ends that. Among other names, he says, The saints in Caesar's household also greet you i got a whole sermon on that. Don't worry, I'm not giving it to you now. But, but think about that. There were people who were actually working and living in the court of the evil Nero who hated Christians with a purple passion. And yet still, they were saints. They had decided to follow Jesus under those difficult, difficult circumstances. There are a lot of valuable lessons to be learned, I think, from understanding how important it is that we appreciate the influence we have on others and the influence that others have upon us. One of the great lessons 
And let me just mention this briefly, that I, I, I have always appreciated from this, the account of the conversion of the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. If you haven't, I'm giving you a lot of reading assignments, aren't I? But if you haven't read Acts 16 lately, go back and read that. It'll just take a few minutes as well. And, and, and so many lessons come from that. But one thing really stands out to me about Paul and Silas and their conduct. And I remind you that when you get into Acts 16, that they have been thrown into prison they have been shackled to the wall and to the floor, hand and feet, as if they were hardened criminals. Now remember, all they've done is just preach the good news of Jesus Christ. But they've been thrown by the powers that be into prison. And so here they are spending some time in prison for just preaching that message. Verse 25 of Acts 16 in particular says that at midnight, Paul and Silas were singing. That blows me away. Because I know they were not singing the first and last verse of nobody knows the trouble I've seen. No, no, no the Bible actually tells us. I, and I think that you'll find the prime example. The verse actually says, verse 25, but at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now watch this. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Wow. That, that's powerful stuff. The other prisoners were hearing these guys react to adversity and trouble in their lives, being unfairly and unjustly incarcerated. They were singing praises to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Let me tell you something. Somebody's always listening when you speak. Somebody's always watching when you make a decision and when you act a particular way. In fact, I read not too long ago that with uh, all the, the cell phones with cameras and the CCTV and the dash cams that are out there, that if you are out, think about this for a moment. This is kind of intimidating. That if you're out in public, there is a 75% chance that you're being video recorded. Kind of makes you want to act right, doesn't it? But there's a greater motivation than just knowing that I'm recorded. Knowing that wherever I am, I'm rubbing elbows with people that I can have a lasting effect on, either for good or for bad. So, so let's review. There are two kinds of example or influence, and we all have one, one kind or another. And every person in or out of the kingdom of Christ is either a blessing or a blight, but you're never a blank. Every time we have a choice to make in our day-to-day -day workings of life, somebody is watching, someone is going to have their own value system affected by what we do and what we say. And I think that's at least a part of the reason why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. Because we'd like to think that we live in a vacuum, but folks, we don't. We'd like to think that we're not anybody's role model, but we are. We'd like to convince ourselves that when we make a decision either for or against Christ, either in or out of the will of God, that it impacts no one but us, but we would be dead wrong about that. So by way of review, every person has influence. Every person is setting an example of one kind or another. And let me repeat, we're born with influence. We can't lose our influence. We can lose our, our good influence, but we don't lose our influence, and it goes into the grave with us when we die. Here's one other quick biblical example of that spiritual reality. In Hebrews 11, verse 4 of the Bible, the Faith Hall of Fame passage says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, that's his brother, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, watch this, he being dead, yet speaks. At the point Hebrews 11 was written, 
Abel had been in the ground for hundreds of years, and yet he being dead yet speaks. That's going to someday be said of you and me as well. That prophecy has certainly come true. About the righteous woman who anointed Jesus' head and feet with oil in Matthew 26, 13. Jesus said, I surely, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Well, that one came true, didn't it? Here we are still talking about that woman 2,000 years later. You simply cannot bury your influence with you. Now, here's a real danger that needs to be quickly addressed. There is a false modesty that manifests itself in the tendency for most of us to deny that we have any sway over other people. We may think we don't have any influence, but you cannot make one wrong decision without leading others in that same direction. And thankfully, you can't make one right choice, one right decision without also, even especially when it's a hard decision, without influencing others for right. After all, God's word says in Romans chapter 14, verse 7, that none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Nobody lives and dies in a vacuum. You're, you're influencing and you're being influenced by other people. Finally, in the, in the publication entitled Power for Today, there appeared this following article. It's very brief. I want to share it with you as we end. Many years ago, the article says, many years ago I attended a gospel meeting. For several days, the truth went unheeded. That just means there were no responses to when the invitation song was sung. And near the close of the meeting, I saw a young man push his way to the aisle and walk down that aisle to obey the gospel. And of those present, he was considered the one least likely to take that action. The impact of that young man's decision was felt over the entire audience. And so 32 other friends of his followed him down the aisle to give their lives to the Lord. It'd be interesting, the author opines, it would be interesting to know how many hundreds of persons those 32 have in turn helped down some aisle somewhere in the intervening years. The influence of that one young man who led the way will live after him or on after him into eternity. He is perhaps unaware, but that's the way it is with our influence. It sways lives one way or another, and you and I do that every day. Few things work so quietly and yet so effectively as influential power. Let me state the obvious as we end this lesson. Our influence is predicated upon our reputation. And our reputation is, is predicated, is determined by the kind of lives we live. And the lives we live is determined by the choices that we make each and every day. So to guard our influence, we have to guard our lives. And be very careful every day, every single day, as to the example that we're setting for others. Solomon said, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. That's Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. That's a great passage. A, a good name is better to be chosen than great riches. That's absolutely true. A little girl passed away. She had not yet reached her 10th birthday. And they were trying to determine what would be a fitting epitaph to have carved on her tombstone. Her friends finally t decided to inscribe these words. It was easier to be good when she was around. And that's what I've been seeking to communicate today. Are we living that kind of life? You can if you're not right now because the gospel invitation is free to all. It's open to everyone. And if this morning you need to become a New Testament Christian, turn your back on sin and sincere repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of life. And to be baptized in Christ, to have his blood cover and wash away all of your sins. Or if you're a child of God that needs to come home and make things right, we're here to help you in any way while we stand, while we sing.